Shark International presents Fresh Talk, conversations about creativity in the 21st century. I'm Kathy Bird, Fresh Art producer, and today I'm in Austin with Christopher Eman. He is an independent curator based in New York, but he's from Canada yes. originally. He's curated exhibitions at institutions internationally, including the Hamburger Bahnhof in Berlin, MoMA PS1 in New York, the Institute of Contemporary Arts in London, and many others. He's the former director of the Pamela and Richard Kramlick New Media Collection in San Francisco, and that's an impressive collection. I'm glad to meet the person that helped them get that started. He's also the former assistant curator at the Whitney Museum of Art in New York. Thank you for meeting with me today. My pleasure. I know that you've had some really interesting conceptual ideas that you've curated as an independent curator, and I think it'd be interesting to talk about how you're navigating the built environment as one who doesn't have his own space. Yeah, well, it's it's a good question, and it's something I'm still... Uh, actively trying to figure out and deal with. Many of my projects from before I was an independent curator were also not in our proprietary spaces. When I was with the Kramer Collection, I was also working on the exhibition at Hamburger Bahnhof and also at the PS1. But the PS1 was a Kramer Collection show, whereas the Hamburger Bahnhof one was not primarily, uh, even though it was... Um, It was an exhibition of the history of video installation art, projected art. But as it was not proprietary space, I was still subject to the same questions I am now. How do you, as an outsider, in a way infiltrate the institution and or find somebody who is receptive to your idea, who wants to give over A space, B budget, etc. You know, this is, I'm still finding this to be a rare occurrence because of course museum chief curators want to please their curators and their own interests. And they don't even have that many opportunities. And directors can be seen to be stepping on the feet of their curators. And I guess in a way I've been lucky with my larger scale projects that they found receptive ground. I um, am also doing these small scale projects interspersed which helps me live out my curatorial ideas or get or have like pleasure in my work and so that's why I would be here in Austin for instance doing a show at Laura Reynolds Gallery because it takes up the slack in a way of my creativity. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I would just maybe become so desolate, you know, despairing that my projects are so few and far in between. I've been truly independent for three years, three and a half now. And my exhibition in um, Eastern Europe was put together for an institution that it ended up not being exhibited at. It ended up with no date on the calendar. So I walked out thinking, you know, I'm just going to double the scale of the show and I'm going to uh, shop it around. And I also merged partners who had never worked before together to make it a co-production. It's kind of, you make strange bedfellows among organizations. I have a relationship with a certain number of institutions or maybe a certain number of directors, but they don't necessarily share those relationships. So I'm actually in a strange position of putting them together in order to make my own project Mm -hmm. be able to take place. Usually 
that scale of exhibition has to be a co-production in this day and age. So you end up being a broker. Right. I had a good support from a financially solid institution on this project from the beginning, from the time that I applied for research money. And I just needed to leverage that with another institution. Like if you have one, you actually, it's easier to find others. Exactly. Once you get a taker, then yeah. you can the, really the talk beginning, about it. The beginning phase of this independent curating um, shtick is great show, great idea. You can't get the loans, you don't have a venue because you don't have a venue, you don't have the loans, and all the catch 22s that, you know, accrue. I'm in that right now with a large scale project, but I keep working on it. So you did have in 2011 a very interesting show at the Power Plant Center of Contemporary Art in Toronto called Rearview Mirror: New Art from Central and Eastern Europe. I'm interested in how you became interested in Central and Eastern Europe because it's not always the obvious thing. Oh, it's you know I'm just so fascinated. I'm so glad I follow my interests with that project. I, that's actually one of the benefits of being independent. You can actually follow your interests wherever they lead. Whereas if you're working privately or with an, with an institution, you have other Agendas. parameters and yeah paradigms mm -hmm. to work within. And Well, it's a great question because it was, I think it was more than five years ago, I was on a trip to Brazil and some people, it was all art collectors, and some behind me had started talking about Pavel Altamer, the Polish artist, and I hadn't really heard of him, but because I heard the name repeatedly, it was they were sitting behind me in the bus, and I heard this name, and I kept trying to figure out what they were saying, and then once I had the name, I realized he was showing up at art fairs, and that he was, especially in Europe, um, <clears throat> very solid figure, it had been so, um, for, since the 90s, and also during that time, mid-2000s, uh, you saw other, especially Polish artists, showing up at like Kunsthalle Basel, where the director is Polish. It's something like, similar to, you see something on the street, like a hat with a feather, and then suddenly you see hats with feathers everywhere because you're attuned to this thing. Because now this is actually kind of a very big... It's uh, growing. It's really growing, the intention's growing. You have to also remember the times and the height of the global speculation in Chinese art. So I was really going against the grain to follow my own interest at the time. And I eventually got a grant and I went to 18 cities in 16 countries. And it's weird, it sounds like a kind of shotgun wedding, but I do still have really strong connections with many of the arts, art people, visual arts in all of those places. I'm going to Estonia again, the government is bringing me to visit there again in July. They seem very, yeah. at they least really the are. institutions like the Soros has really been encouraging those cultural platforms and I think well, that's the really, really important. Soros really got them going. I think I'm working with the children of the Soros um, support. The artist worked with what you called post-conceptual strategies. <laughs> Talk about that. You know, it's, this is a, one of those, those um, art speak terms that you can really attribute different meanings to. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you um, some background. When I started doing this, I went to the Balta Triennial in Vilnius, Lithuania. The young artists, they were really just very resistant to the idea of doing an Eastern European show. They didn't want to 
be put into a dichotomy of center and margin. But there's still, I thought, some value in showcasing people in art in North America where there really is very, quite a lot of ignorance, actually, about the whole place. And I thought this is also an opportunity for us to overturn historical prejudices and uh, cliches. So I did the research and I thought the way I'll bring them together is not the, the fact that they're Eastern European, I'm just going to choose a practice so I can focus and have some structure that's not just based on a region, because this region is, an, is a kind of artificial region. I chose um, non-traditional practices as opposed to painting sculpture because I would have need, needed three museums to do that. And the post-conceptual strategy is conceptual art that employs objects, sometimes found in the manner of Duchamp and other times, purpose-built to convey the idea. So that's really the structure. And of course, there are a few little exceptions and quite a bit of video art, which I find easily can sit in many camps. Christopher talked about the Manscape exhibition he curated at the Laura Reynolds Gallery in Austin. I wanted to do a exhibition with these young photographers that I've been seeing like like a quite new strain in photography. A lot of color, a lot of expressivity, but using traditional forms like still life. The women were using the male body in such an extremely objectified way. I couldn't help but like just try to build a show around it. The framework comes from the objectification of the male body in, those, in Michelle Abelis and Mariah Robertson's work. And from there I expanded it to allow for subjectivity to come through of the man, male, whether in the case of Adina Popescu, it's authored by a woman, the, the male figure, the monologue of the hacker and identity thief is her voice as a man. It's, it's both a, a subjectivity that she's inhabiting and creating, it's a fiction, and as it's being acted by a male actor, it's also a truth. So he's both a subject and an object. Um, it's very subtle, but the editing, and she's actually colorized his eyes to make him more Hollywood dreamy and heightened the color of his bow tie. And, you know, she's done things that are traditionally done to women on the covers of magazines. And I'm not saying that this is brand new for men. I think that male objectification's probably been going on for some time. It's still not the norm, and works I've chosen here are very extreme in terms of pushing it. You can't push it any further. I mean, then you're, maybe you're just in some other realm, like pornography then. I chose also a male artist currently working, you know, contemporary practicing artist who's, who actually did some very inventive experimental work in the late 70s, early 80s, really before his time. Um, just to push for the male self-analysis to take place within the exhibition. There is only one male in that show because I wanted it to be a very special work, very, you know, pushing the limits formally, conceptually, just very avant-garde. He used projections, photo montage, and the pictures generation era um, to an analyze his own male subjectivity, and it really predates that kind of work by 10 or 15 years. You know, the male subjectivity, there was the black male show at the Whitney, which was groundbreaking in, I think, 1993. Um, a lot of the identity politics 
art. There was also a very famous biennial in 91 of the Whitney that really uh, showed a change, not just in gender, around gender issues, but race issues and class issues. You see all this kind of marked to the 90s. This work is, is not about that in a sense. It's very personal but it also engages in those. You can read it that way. John Massey's an exhibition to provide a balance and, and an occasion to think historically. You had described the exhibition pointing to the slippages between internal and external perceptions of maleness. <laughs> what are the slippages? Writers are, are exploring those slippages all the time, fiction writers. Theater writers, because they have to inhabit all different kinds of voices, and I think that maybe this is more true of the of the theater arts or the performing arts, but or literature than we're used to in visual art, where you basically perform a gender. I don't think everything in the show is about slippage. I think Mariah and um, Michelle are actively objectifying using men as objects to make a composition and Mariah is also making a point, a broader point. Massey is really investigating like internal psychological space by literally spatializing it into models of his own studio which is kind of like his headspace, it's very self-analytical. I like that description of it. The space is, is the headspace. The his studio head, is your headspace. And, and his projections pieces, which are very uh, advanced for the time, are really about psychological projection as much as literal light projection. The slippage there is that I think he's just, he's trying to find out about himself. The images are like an oversized arm made up of millions of minutiae of the gold gilt um, sculptural elements of the Palace of Versailles. This is sort of, uh, if you have seen Louis XV, he's so poofed up with high heel shoes and bows and silk and, and satin and wigs, you know. He's showing as something about the power and the grandeur, but underlying this is a lot of slippage of cultural codes. I think the exhibition's much more focused than that the term suggests mm -hmm. because it could be a much bigger show. And then we haven't even talked about Catherine Opie and the transgendered photo people. This no. would be amazing too. This is a kernel of something. You never know where it will go. Exactly. Quickly or slowly I will go. But I will dare what must be dared. I will destroy appearances. The casings will be burnt off and will fall from me. And I will appear there some evening on the palm of your hand, calm and pure, like a statue of glass. You've been listening to Fresh Talk with Christopher Eman. Read more about Christopher and hear other podcasts in this series on freshartinternational.com.